This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Limit Up Podcast election special, as we're going to call it. Uh, Every month or so, we like to do one of these panel episodes with just the folks from in the office to talk about something um, more actionable in the markets. And uh, joined, as always, today by Dan. How you doing, Dan? Jack, I'm good. And yourself? I'm doing just fine. Uh, as I was telling you earlier, I'm excited to talk about election modeling today because it is my uh, my jam. It's something yeah, I'm into. You've never written an outline this intense for something. I could tell you're excited. Well, that's a good you know lead because uh, there's going to be some information in this episode. And uh, to help us parse through it, we brought in the big guns. The dancing bear himself is back. <laughs> John, John Doherty, how you doing? Hi, Jack. Hi, Dan. Uh, hey, JD. Doing great. Thanks for having me back again. All right. So uh, we thought with about a little bit over a month till the presidential election that it might be good to kind of talk about how this might affect markets, especially the one thing we know it's going to affect is volatility. If you look at the way options are priced right now, there's a huge expected volatility around that November 3rd, that early November. Uh, in fact, I have heard that it is the biggest expected volatility ever. Because obviously, volatility is usually something that you can only have an idea of and big things come on out of nowhere. You know, that's what makes them big and unexpected. But with this election, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, we can predict that there's going to be a lot of volatility then that's going to affect the markets. So I think a good place to start with this is Dan, I know you have a story about trading the elections in 2016. I think it might be good to start by just talking about what can happen in the futures market around elections. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it kind of goes back to actually, we, we learned our lesson pretty good um, on Brexit, uh, which was in June of 2016. And it was extremely volatile. It was, you could not determine direction. You It was really just unbelievably difficult to trade. You're you're trying to manage a position. You're hedging that position. And we ended up kind of walking away scratch on it. Um, we were up, we were down, we were kind of all over the place. And so when the elections came around, we started going flat about a week beforehand. Uh, we knew elections were going to be extremely volatile. So the bosses came in and basically said, everyone work on getting flat. Let's get these positions as flat as possible. And, and when I say flat, like usually when we would go flat, like we were delta neutral, but we were still carrying position. At this point, we had almost nothing on whatsoever. So we saw the markets all start to break. We got a phone call at about 1030 at night, and uh, we were all sitting there just watching the markets, and our boss basically said, all right, go for it. Um, we started to see the tides kind of turn a little bit. We saw Trump start to kind of come around, looked like he was going to win, and the market was moving drastically. Um, and so we were able to take advantage once it started to move, but we sat there flat all night long until we got that phone call. Once we got that phone call, it turned into being, um, one of our biggest days of 2016. Um, it was extremely volatile and, uh, it was, it was hard to trade. It it was really difficult to trade just in general to get around that stuff. Well, that was the first time after they had established the uh, circuit breakers, that was the first time in equities, I believe, that they actually got to employ one of those 5% down overnight. 
Um, and the 2016 election is a classic example of markets don't like uncertainty, even if it's not necessarily a bad thing for the markets one way or another. They don't like it. And when volatility spikes like that, they tend to go down. And then people kind of were like, wait a second. I mean, this guy's going to cut corporate taxes and stuff. That's probably something that, you know, something like the markets would like. Right. I think, you know, you went into it thinking, you know, everything was saying that Hillary was going to take the election. And by, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, you started to see things turning around um, and Trump kind of coming out of nowhere unexpectedly. And I think uh, you saw a lot of buyers start to come in there and recognize, okay, maybe he will be good for these markets. Yeah. And we'll get into it further in the episode, but this is an idea of why I tend to like election modeling more than sort of, uh, you know, polls of bankers that are like, oh, JP Morgan says there's, you know, a 70% chance that blah. It's like, shut up, JP Morgan. All right. There's, there's, there's finance bros on both sides who have strong opinions about things and they like to think that they're the masters of the universe and they just pull these things out like they're the oracle on the mountain. All right. They don't know any more than anything else. Uh, JD, before I start launching into uh, my polling tirades, uh, do you have anything you'd like to add about the uh, markets in relation to elections? Oh, uh, my favorite part of that 2016 election was uh, all the old school day trader social media sort of troglodytes, like just coming out <laughs> in droves, uh, saying buy it at two o'clock in the morning. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I came across an article on Market Watch. A few weeks ago, uh, I don't recall the analyst name that made this call right now. I should have looked it up before we started, but I'll have it ready for uh, our outro. But it was so simple that I had to take a second look at it and go back and like actually check this out for myself. Uh, he was basically just saying that stock market performance in the three months leading up to the election has just a great track record, a good history of predicting the presidential election. I.e. if it's up, that's good for the incumbent or something? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I th- it's kind of coming back. This guy was from LPL Financial, I believe. I'll get his name later. Uh, yeah, he just said, looking at a simple chart, he noticed a positive correlation between the S&P and the three months leading up to the election. It's good for the incumbent party. And poor performances, obviously, then not good for the opposing party. Sure. So the uh, mechanics of the 2020 election are going to be different. So this brings me to my first uh, big prediction, my first hot take, if you will, and uh, you guys can say one way or another, is whereas there was a lot more uncertainty in 2016 uh, directionally on who would win, my first prediction is that the outcomes for the market are not necessarily clear cut on each side, meaning I don't think that at this point there is... You know, there used to be talk that there'd be some sort of, you know, huge crash if Biden was elected and the markets would rally if Trump was. I've seen things on both sides leading to believe that I don't think it'll be that. I don't think that's going to happen. What I do think is the biggest ramification for the markets will be whether or not the election goes smoothly. Hot take number one. What do you think? I don't argue that whatsoever. I think, um, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, um, but I think there is large potential that if it does not, if we don't end that night into the next day with like a firm answer of who won, I think it's going to lead to extreme uncertainty. And we know when that fear and uncertainty hit the market, we start to see the markets break. And I'm well prepared for something like that to happen. 
I am too. And that brings us full circle on the reason why the, uh, you know, forward volatility is so high for it. It has nothing to do with who's going to win one way or another. The uncertainty is that there's a lot of problems that may arise and there's a lot of tail risk with some of these edge cases that we'll get into a little bit later. But first, Let's get into the actual election modeling. So right now, at a national level, on the uh, 538 aggregate, which puts all the polls together, we have uh, Biden at about plus 6.9 nationally, right? And as we know, nationally is not really the way elections work in the United States. You have to win the Electoral College, which is, for some reason, all or nothing in each state. So it kind of changes. Really, what you have to look at is the margin in the tipping point state, which right now is Pennsylvania, which is about Biden plus four. So it's still a close election that could go either way. Um, and I think that some of the modelers are taking that into consideration, whereas not many did in 2016. Although I think it is a bit of a, um, what would you call it? A myth that the polls were that far off in 2016. They were off in a few key states, but nationally it hit it about on the head. And I believe, um, you know, the 538 model had Trump at, I don't know, like 30% on the day of the election. Um, once again, either person could win, but I think it's important to realize that that is the case. Like, the polls will probably be pretty close to right, but that still means either candidate could win. Yeah, I think that's what we something we learned, especially myself, in 2016. I mean, every election before that, you look at the polling and the modeling, and it really seems to kind of give an idea of where things are going to end up. 2016... I think everything that was advertised everywhere you looked, it really had Hillary in a big lead that I think that is what brought such shock to these markets. So I do think, you know, my concern with the polling and the modeling and stuff, I've been a voter for 15 years now and I have never once been polled. Um, I had this conversation with my dad last week, as a matter of fact, he's 57 years old and he has never been polled in his life. And so that's where, you know, where the polling to me comes into question of like, well, who are they actually polling? Where are they getting these actual numbers from? Because that one has me curious. Well, do, do you want to go into it? Because as I said, this is my jam. Let's go I'm, into it because I'm, I'm curious, curious. also. I have right. also never been polled. So probably, and this will be a little bit different for your dad, the reason that none of us have been polled is that to my knowledge, we're all residents of the state of Illinois. Uh, did you just change to Wisconsin, Dan? I am a Wisconsin resident. I, how long have you been? I'll get to this next. Um, I've been voting up here for two years. Okay. So, JD, the reason we never get polled is because we live in Cook County, Illinois, in a plus 70 Democratic district. So we're never going to get polled because the elections aren't all that interesting. Now, in Wisconsin, there's a lot of polls. Uh, the issue is this, and I'll be interested to see what Dan says on this. And then we'll go to the next thing. The high quality polls that you get from, say, uh, the New York Times Siena poll or the Washington Post poll or the Fox News poll uh, rely on live caller data, which they do uh, call cell phones and stuff like that, especially in Wisconsin. But I don't know about you, but I don't I get 30 calls a day from unknown numbers and I don't pick up any of them. So I have picked up a couple. Um, most of them are just asking if I'm voting at no point have they asked what side I'm voting other than like, if one of the parties will call, uh, like it'll be a party call saying like, Hey, 
Uh, we want to make sure you're voting and that you are voting this way. Well, you're far more likely to get those sorts of messages just because they'll send out, you know, millions of those and they have volunteers doing them with the polls. Just got one. Yeah, I get a million text messages from, hey, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. Just wanted to make sure, you know, I get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing around with polling, so I think I've seen somewhere they're trying to get usually a sample size of, say, you know, 800 from Wisconsin. So it ends up being a lot less calls they make. But I've heard that they have to call about 20 people for every one they get. Now, to make up for who they get, involves waiting and this is when the polls were off in 2016 so what they do is they get 800 people from wisconsin and then they you know they they get 800 people wisconsin you know they probably get 600 white old people or something just as an example (laughs) obviously that's not representative of the true proportions of uh the electorate in wisconsin so what they do is they go back to some uh model they have based on the census or the voter rolls or stuff like that and then weight it so they have their demographics right and one of the ways that the polls were really off in 2016 was we did not used to weight polls for education meaning like having a bachelor's degree because it used to not matter there wasn't that much of a difference between say the way white people voted based on whether they had a college degree or not Um, that has changed increasingly since about 2000 and now it's an important thing to wait for so that's something that could say the polls could be a little bit better now but it still is a problem because you know so many people just don't answer the phone for anyone so that could be something that affects the polling as well so yeah uh, i think you know they do it now where you get an incoming call and it doesn't even say the number it says spam risk exactly and I, I gotta change it. I, I get like 30 calls a day from all sorts of, you know, just BS things. So many. Yeah. I don't, I don't really answer anything anymore if I don't have that, if I don't know that number. I mean, the IRS would have arrested me a hundred times over already. If these calls were important. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I probably yeah. got one phone call a month from a number I don't recognize. And, uh, oh, must be nice. Yeah. Must be. I don't know what you I do. I got one this morning. What am I doing right? Or what am I doing wrong? I got one from New York this morning. They're repossessing your car. They're, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just a bunch of bullshit. But <laughs> anyway, um, so the polls generally, whether we think they're accurate or how accurate they are is up for debate. Uh, they do tend to create models that are better than at predicting things than say gut intuition as much as people would like to go along those lines. So right now, long story short, in the polling aggregates, uh, in their models, 538 thinks there's about 77% chance that Biden wins. The Economist thinks there's about an 84% chance that Biden wins. And I think it's important to remember that one in five events, one in seven events, which those both apply, happen all the time. I think there's this misconception of like, uh, you know, they were off by that they, that they thought that Trump was going to lose by 30 percentage points. It's like, no, that's not the right way to read the models. They thought that there was like, you know, no one knows what the true probability was. Maybe it was one in 10, one in three, but those things happen all the time. So I think it's important to kind of keep a level head and not be a homer when it comes to your trading. (laughs) That's going to be, that should be the name of this episode. If the editor's listening is uh, how, you know, trading the election, don't be a homer. We'll keep on coming back to that because I think especially with politics, which we'll try and keep our uh, own beliefs aside here is that people get so tribal about what they think is going to happen that they 
just can't let it go one way or another. And I have a story I'll tell at the end of the podcast uh, for my trading days that will kind of put this crystal clear. So those are the models, right? And then the other way to predict where things are going, we all love markets, right? Dan, you love markets? I love them. We love markets because they're an efficient discount uh, mechanism, right? They Absolutely. take all the information, they organize it, they tell you what's going to happen. Uh, the political betting markets are not like that. So right now on Predict It, which is the biggest, they have Biden at a 59. It's a little bit hard to imply the stats on there because it's a binary option, essentially. But uh, they have Biden at about 59% to win and uh, Trump at about, you know, 46 which is, you know, weird because that adds up to well over 100, which I will go into after we take a break here, why that is. Um, have you guys had any experience in any of those markets? No, I don't. I haven't I don't, checked out Predict It in quite a while. But I don't really I am familiar much in with there. it a little bit. Well, it comes from a right place is we do love markets and there is something uh, seductive or sexy insofar as, you know, polling data could be of having markets that bet on the outcomes of real events because ideally, if you believe in markets, if it was truly an efficient market, that would be the best way to tell who people... Like all the inside information would get in there and we'd have a pretty good idea of who would win. Uh, that's how, you know, sports betting markets are pretty efficient, right? I mean, not a lot of people are beating the lines consistently. So that tells you something. Right. And it goes back to a podcast we had, um, Jack, you and I, we chatted with, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, um, from California. Uh, dual Momentum? Dual Momentum. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Antonacy. Yes. Yes. We, uh, spoke to him about Dual Momentum and he has actually carried that into the sports betting world. And we asked him, we said to him, we go, so how much more difficult is the sport betting world versus the real market? He goes, actually, I have a higher percentage when it comes to sports betting just because dual momentum and that concept works much better there. So I think it's kind of an interesting correlation that maybe even thinking about dual momentum, and I'd be curious to hear his input on how that would work in a in a uh, election scenario. Well, the the issue with the election markets, so I assume most people out there are either into or familiar with sports betting is there's not really – the reason you don't see lines get super out of whack there is because they're sharps, right? They can put down a ton of money. It's an, essentially a market with no real limits. Mm -hmm. They might have some limit on how much you can put in a single bet, but it's not, it's not a small one. So the problem with these election markets, right, like predict it, is uh manifold as we would say so first just like a betting uh sports betting market there's a vig on it all your profits i'm just gonna use predicted as an example here but i assume the other sites work the same um there's a vig meaning any profits you make they take 10 percent. there's also and this is a real killer a five percent withdrawal fee right so all the money you put in you're already five percent in the hole that is not good. Uh, but like really what makes them inefficient is the, the lack of liquidity and the position limits because of legal considerations. So Vegas can't, um, do bets on political races. 
in part because, you know, think about all the externalities that would cause, right? I mean, it, you just it, if you think about how wild it would be if people could go and bet on weird Senate races and stuff like that, the incentives to do all sorts of weird stuff would uh, get pretty high, right? You can see right. where that's going, JD? I got gotcha. you. Right. Um, so because these sites are actually considered academic, I predict it's run by like the University of Wellington in New Zealand. Um, because it's run technically as an academic, I'm making air quotes. This is a podcast, so I'll say it an <laughs> academic experiment. It's not a betting site. It's an academic experiment. And what that means is they limit the number of people in each bet. And more importantly, how much you can bet, which is only 850 bucks. The problem with that is it makes the markets – there's no incentive for a whale to come in there or an algo or a hedge fund and start you know, skimming stuff at that level. It just doesn't make any sense. So when you combine all three of those together with homerism as well, you get a big underdog bias. It basically compresses all probabilities. People want to win big, so they bet on – they bid up the probability of low probability outcomes – um, and because of the 5%, there's no incentive for people to take something to 99% if it's truly only, you know, it, it, things tend to stall out. Like right now, I think uh, Biden has a uh, 93% chance to win California, which I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> that uh, that's probably closer to a 99.99, you know, unless a meteor hits everything besides the uh, <laughs> inland part of California uh, as a safe assumption to make. So. I think that even though we love markets, there's not really an efficient thing happening with uh, political betting markets. So I would not look to those. If you're a trader looking for sort of where the wind is going on election night or in the days leading up to it, I think you have to use some combination of your own instincts and the actual information that's coming in and not completely rely on those betting markets because they'll do all sorts of crazy stuff. So... If you guys are setting up for your election trade, how are you approaching it? Well, I'm looking at a, a couple different fundamental things. I like historical data. Uh, another sort of model that I looked at were how recessions have been historically bad for incumbent parties. But the big difference this year is that all the recent economic setbacks in light of COVID-19, they're not restricted or unique to the U.S. economy. It's It's been a global recession. Actually, can we can we technically still say that we're in a recession? I know we need to see two consecutive quarters of negative growth to earn that title, but we could do an aside here fairly it's, swiftly. It's it, this is such a wacky, in not the fun term of wacky, but such a wacky, unprecedented economic fallout from all of this that it's it's hard to say. I mean, what we we went down thirty. 1% in Q2 and now we'll probably rebound like 20%. Uh I have no idea where that leaves us on the year stuff like that, but y yeah, I think it's going to be a short recession just because of <laughs> the nature of how far and how fast it fell. Yeah, and we're going to get another Q2 update I think next week. We won't know about Q3 until just before the election. That could be a mover actually. Uh but again because it's more of a global issue. I don't know how it really changes predictive models at all. Uh, my point being is that like, there's just absolutely, we're being flooded with so much data right now. There are so many variables in play and I just, it's, 
I feel like all that data can be easy, easily manipulated to sort of support pretty much any outcome you want it to. And that's, that's a whole nother conversation. I, I would suppose, but right now I'm looking more at fundamental. I'm not looking at betting lines and whatnot. I'm just looking at historical data. Uh, yeah. As far as volatility goes, we're not seeing a whole lot of big swings right now. The VIX is still hovering around that 25 area. It hasn't made a big move since earlier in the month. Uh, and the market's stocks have gone pretty flat this month. I think traders should be exercising a little caution. And if you're executing trades based on who you think is going to win this election, maybe you should really take a step back and reevaluate right now. Absolutely. That's uh, I'll let Dan go first, but that's, I think, where I'm going with all this. That's exactly where I stand at this point. If you are making any trade decision based off of your input or your thoughts or bias of who may win this election, first off, I don't think anyone out there is going to wholeheartedly say, you know, I am going to base all my trading right now off of who I think is going to win this election. I don't think that makes any sense because no matter what happens, whoever wins this election we don't have it's not like in you know certain candidates can come up and we know exactly what sectors are going to get hit yeah right now we think you know the healthcare sector is going to be an interesting one i think we can all agree on that there's going to be volatility when it comes to the healthcare sector uh, but across the board as a whole when we look at futures market which is 99% of what we talk about here you cannot execute anything right now based off of who you believe is going to win i think we have to wait for that that night to come, we have to wait for the markets to tell us what they think of the outcomes or the stance that we're in at that point, and then we can execute from there. But going into it, you know, the beginning of November and start trading, thinking that, all right, I think Biden's going to win or I think Trump's going to win and trading off of that, I think you're going to be set up for failure. Um, and I think no matter, even if you are right, I think you are still going to take way too much heat to get in on those trades. Yeah. And honestly, I think you deserve it if you're doing that. Uh, this, So I think what the overarching theme of this is going to be is that sort of you see on TV right now, a lot of commercials telling you to figure out your voting plan, how you're going to do that. And so what I want people to do is kind of figure out what their plan is. And for me, I think the first thing is I'm going into that night flat. And I think the first thing that I'm looking at is leading up to it is there will be reduced uncertainty as we approach the election. And we might see a scenario, depending on what happens, where it will be a bigger long shot for one candidate as opposed to another. And then sort of a scenario more like 2016 comes into play a little bit. But I think you have to not be – you should know these things – you should be thinking about them occasionally, but you should not be putting on any trades now based on that. Go in flat, see what happens, and be careful most of all for the um, any signs that there's going to be continued uncertainty that lasts more than the night of the election. Yeah, and one thing to note too, when when that election night comes, I think a lot of people... We get, especially traders nowadays, when you're looking at the screens and you see working orders in there, you think people are trading. And I want everyone to recognize that it's not just trading that's happening. A lot of those working orders that will be in there on election night are people that are carrying positions and they're just hedging. They know if it goes up a point or down a point, how many 
futures they need to buy or sell to maintain some sort of delta neutral. So you're always going to see that working order in there. You're always going to see trade. And again, air quotes here, you're going to see trade, but it's not real trade. It's going to be people just covering themselves, making sure that they're okay, no matter which way this market goes. And so as it starts to go down, maybe you're going to see orders constantly getting filled. And that's just literally people keeping themselves flat. So they're not losing on the other end. And that's what we have to keep in mind. As volatility increases, your delta is going to, you're going to need to hedge bigger to maintain your delta. And that's what's going to be happening here. And we have to be conscious of that. And until you start to see real orders coming into play, which is really difficult to see if you're not, if you don't know what you're looking for. And it takes a long time to really get a, a grasp of what you're looking for to recognize if real orders are coming in. But that's what we have to be conscious of. And that's where I am going to stress going into election night, just because you see something does not mean you should be executing. Absolutely. I think that the uh, couple pieces of actionable advice I would give, so as part of my trading plan for election night, is I'm going in flat and I am looking for a couple early results that would sort of confirm more if I saw a bigger move that something is like this is real. And for me, there's a couple of states that are going to report super early in the night that will give us a pretty good idea of where things are going. First and foremost, Florida, they count all the mail-in balance and everything very quickly, uh, generally, and they report early in the night. If Biden wins Florida, it's over. And those um, moves you see then might be something more to pay attention to. Lesser known would be that Indiana and Kentucky report early as well. Now, Trump's going to win Indiana, Kentucky. But if the margins there are significantly different one way or the other than they were in 2016, that's going to tell you a lot about what's going to happen in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Because demographically, they're very similar states. So those would be... If we see markets moving on those sorts of results, I would just be careful. Everything about this is I'm urging caution. And you know what? No one says you even have to trade that night. But what I don't want is people to get on the wrong sides of moves that are happening for a definitive reason. Right. And circling back, I agree with you 100% going into Election Day being flat. Uh, But I'm also fairly confident that on November 4th, we're not going to know who the next president of the United States is. We have states already extending their deadlines for ballot counting. I think Wisconsin and Minnesota just recently did. Uh, this thing is going to draw out for a couple weeks, in, in my opinion. And uh, I think that knee jerk that you're going to get on election night won't be sustainable. It's not going to last and it'll just gradually become increasingly volatile as those deadlines approach. Yeah, I just can't imagine how everything so uh i am i don't know if dan will be quite old enough because i'm just a few years older than him but i i remember the 2000 election and how that dragged out and i remember oh i I remember i was young but i remember yeah i remember i was going on a vacation with my family like right at the time and i remember my mom telling me we were like on the plane and she was saying that oh you know by the time we're back in a week or whatever we'll know who the president was and you know what mom you were wrong (laughs) (laughs) But this is going to be, and this, as you said, I think the biggest takeaway from this is just to be careful with the volatility because 
this will make 2000 look like such a cordial and collegial affair. I mean, if, if this <laughs> thing drags out and there's, you know, lawyers involved and everything else, it's, it's, it's just going to be. It's going to be a street fight. There'll be hijacking mailmen. Yeah. <laughs> How do you hijack a, ma- a, a mailman? <laughs> Dude, it's kidnapping. <laughs> I, I don't argue there though. I think, uh, I think both of you guys are spot on. I think this is a, an election unlike anything we've seen, especially just what's going on within our country right now. There is such massive divide everywhere that the outcome of this whenever we get that if we get that and how soon we get that is going to lead to you know i think there's going to be a lot of civil unrest i think there doesn't even if everyone says if this candidate wins the market's going to do really well i don't know if that's going to be the case right away i think we're going to have some time before we get to that point where there is calmness volatility decreases now just like you guys going into that night my trade plan says be flat, and the one thing that I will add into that trade plan is all my trades. Normally, when I'm trading, I'm in trades. If I'm, you know, on a day trading standpoint, I'm in them for, you know, a few hours at least. Um, I'm holding those positions a little bit longer. I'm going to be very quick in and very quick out that night as well, um, because I don't want to get caught in that situation where breakers are hit, um, where. I'm stuck in something that I can't get out of. I'm not looking for that massive, massive return right away. And uh, it's going to be fast trade if I'm trading. And anyone out there, I think you have to maintain that mentality of being quick in and out on that night. Because we saw it in 2016. We saw a fast break into a big rally. Um, That could happen again here. Really, it could happen no problem. Or it could extend lower. could hit those breakers really fast. Um, the morning of the fourth is going to be, it's going to be a hell of an open. No questions asked. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. I, uh, or the opposite of fun. I, uh, I, I think that I just want to completely just reiterate, just, I just don't want to see people get completely chopped up on this in that. I mean, I think there's, and I hate just even gut feelings, but there's maybe a one in 10 ch- got a siren going by. Something going on outside. Some uh, uh, mailman just got yeah. hijacked. <laughs> my, you know, my, my mail's been slow. Hijacked my mailman. Mail carriers or whatever the preferred term is. But I think there's maybe, you know, it's not unreasonable to say there's a 1 in 10 chance that there's going to be volatility sort of, once again, when you get into unprecedented events, nobody exactly knows how far the volatility can go in some of these cases. So just be extremely careful and to say one more time, don't be a homer. Uh, I promised a story earlier and at a certain, um, firm that I worked at at some point, the proprietor had to be, I think, uh, like dragged out of the office by the risk manager, um, in 2004 on election night, uh, because he was trading with his heart on his sleeve, essentially long after it was imprudent to do so. So, no matter where you fall in your personal beliefs, just don't commit to them so hard that you do something incredibly stupid that you later regret. We can all agree on that, right? Everyone, my hands across America. (laughs) Don't do something stupid. Making financial decisions based on your political loyalties is a recipe for disaster. I will wholeheartedly agree with that. 
Well, that's good. So um, as we finish up here, this is probably a good place to leave this for now. And we'll come back to the elections at some point. Um, sort of a conclusion, is there anything in the markets right now as we sit here on Wednesday that you guys are looking for in the coming week? I'm calling for it to stay flat. I think we're going to continue seeing this uh, these sort of soft market moves. I mean, gold's the only thing I really see moving right now, and it's going down. I think a lot of people are kind of taking the advice that we talked about, about people are paring down positions. I don't think now is a time where a lot of people want to um, slap on some major flyer, right? Because there's this known uncertainty, and it's an unusual situation to be in. How often do you get to like sit on your hands and uh, be like, well, we know it's going to move a bunch then, and we'll have a lot clearer picture of what's going forward. So, Yeah, I think I'm looking at it right now. I'm, I'm like J.D., and when I say keeping it flat, I'm not looking at a 30-minute chart here. I'm looking at the dailies, kind of getting an idea of what that range is. I'm going to trade to my extremes there. Um, yeah, we saw the Dow break 900 the other day. Yeah, that's not a directional move in my opinion. We're still within a comfortable range. Um, and I think we're going to see this range kind of continue for quite some time until we have a clearer picture. And again, that clearer picture might not become – that might not come – until we start to see those early results coming in, that Florida, Kentucky, Indiana stuff. I don't think we're going to get a clearer picture until then. And that's what's going to keep these markets kind of in line, um, keep them relatively quiet. Yeah, again, like I said, Dow broke 900 the other day. That is That to me is not indicating we're going to turn everything around and the tumble happens now i think it's going i think everyone's just going to wait a little bit won't it just be incredible if we're doing this podcast on december 31st which we're probably not gonna do a podcast on new year's eve but <laughs> bear with me it's not like we're gonna be out partying um and come up that, to wisconsin we're wide open <laughs> yeah but then i can't come back for two weeks yeah you're on the quarantine list again dan oh uh, um, yeah i don't but, mind wouldn't it be amazing if uh december 31st you know the mark the markets close and the S&P is just to the point flat on the year like 2020 just <laughs> nothing happened a lot of it's extremes like in the 2020 middle. was just a wash yeah <laughs> it's it, it's really not a uh, far-fetched idea to see so anyway i guess i just want to kind of get the ball rolling on what's going to kind of define the news cycle and the markets and everything else for the next month and uh, how we're kind of looking at it so we'll come back to it but i'm with you guys i think we're going to see more of a range trade here for a little while in um, most products, unless there's something unforeseen that goes down. And uh, yeah, I'm just getting geared up for uh, some volatility. So I think that's where we'll probably do it. Usually we uh, do the conclusion separately, but you know, I can do it. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Limit Up podcast today. Mr. Hodgman, thanks for uh, joining us from the bastion of Wisconsin. Yes. <laughs> the outcast up here. Yeah. No, we'll come up there sometime soon. I'm waiting for my new golf clubs to come in. Then I'll just in time for the off season. Perfect. Yeah. Courses will still be open. Nice. JD, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Oh, I always have a blast here. Thanks for inviting me again, guys. Yeah, it's fun doing these episodes sometimes. So uh, everybody, check out uh, topsteptrader.com if you want to uh, get into a combine to take advantage of some of this volatility in a smart way. Don't do anything stupid. But if you are going to do something stupid, probably better to do it in a trading combine than in a brokerage account. I think that's fair. And uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new podcast. Enjoy the weekend. Namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.